friends. wasn't sure. Uh, I was having some uh, technical difficulties here. wasn't sure I was going to make it on. Uh, I knew I was going to make it on, but uh, just uh, how pretty it was going to be. Uh, but uh, we've overcome most of it, and uh, here we are. And it's a Friday morning. We're in Luke chapter 13 today. And there is some, uh, there's some challenge in what we're looking at this morning, and uh my intent is to get through the first nine verses. We'll see if we get there or if we go further. Uh, this particular section in the first five verses uh, is something that isn't recorded anywhere else in any of the Gospels. In fact, it's something that not even Josephus, I can't say the word, Joseph, you know who I'm talking about, Josephus. There we go. Uh, yeah, doesn't mention in his historical writings either. So it, it's a little bit of an anomaly. Uh, and um, I, 
there is some record, there is some commentary that uh, that I will try to uh, surface and look at for us and bring out some of uh, notes out of some commentary about this particular section. Uh, and really what we get out of this section is nobody's going to be exempt. That's really kind of the bottom line. I mean, we're all going to face death. We're all going to face judgment. Uh, and sometimes the things that happen to people have nothing to do with behavior. Uh, it, it just happens to people. And sometimes people get what's coming to them. That's that's another aspect of what we look at here this morning in this particular section of Scripture, Luke chapter 13. Let's jump in. It says, Now there were some present uh, at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now this is this is interesting. What is this talking about? Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this particular way? Uh, I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam uh, fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. It repeats th- that phrase in verse 13 and, and uh, sorry, verse 3 and verse 5. I tell you no, unless you repent, you too will perish. Verse 5, I tell you no, unless you too repent, you too will perish. Uh, the call to repentance. Now, getting into this, what's happening? I mean, this isn't referenced anywhere else in, in, in any other Gospels. So Jesus was told about Galileans. Now, it was a time for a sacrifice. Uh, this may have even been a time when uh, and Galileans were Jews. Uh, you know, they, There were some in Galilee who weren't Jews, uh, but there were many who were Jews, and it may have been the time of atonement. They may have been down in Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Yom Kippur, uh, the time of atonement, and uh, were giving their sacrifices and would have been in the temple area. And Pilate, trying to upstage Herod, uh, went into, and Pilate was known to do these just bizarre things that just kind of in a fit of rage, he would he would rage and then take some uh crazy action and this is one of those actions that at least according to what i've read in commentaries um pilot likely got angry over something and is wanting to upstage herod because he didn't like herod and so had soldiers go into the temple area uh and some in fact say he had soldiers go into the temple area in plain clothing but they still had their their small little knives with them uh, and that there would be a certain signal that would be given, and at that point his soldiers would then slaughter people who were in worshiping. And apparently it was Galileans who were in worshiping at the temple, offering sacrifices at this time, and Pilate had them murdered in the temple grounds. Uh, and so this this is what is being referenced here. Again, there isn't another historical record of it. Uh, in at least not in Josephus, uh, not in the Gospels, but there is some other 
vague recollections in other places that seem to point to an occurrence, this little blip on the headlines. Now, some say it was significant that there were 3,000 that were killed. I don't know if that were the number, but we do know is that there was enough uh, that happened that Jesus was told about these Galileans who Pilate killed, and it says they mixed the Galileans' blood with their sacrifices. They'd gone to sacrifice, and the killing of animals was part of the sacrifice. So it was there was not only animal blood, but there was also human blood mixed in with the sacrifices. Now, some people were saying, well, then these Galileans were probably getting what was coming to them. It was an act of judgment on God. Remember Katrina, when Hurricane Katrina happened, and there were some preachers saying, you know, Katrina happened, it was an act of judgment. It could be. I mean, some of the some of the things that would happen in cities like New Orleans would be deserving of judgment, perhaps. But to come out and say it's a judgment of God, Jesus is saying, look, this isn't a judgment of God. Uh, what happened to these Galileans? And this is where he says in verse 2, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And he's not saying this to let them off the hook necessarily. He's just saying they're all guilty. They're all guilty. They're, they're, they're no worse than any other Galilean. In fact, they're no worse than any other human being. We we all have sinfulness. And uh, so Jesus, because some would be saying, well, they must have done something really awful that they suffered this type of fate at the hands of Pilate. Um, and Jesus is saying, well, don't be so quick to judge in this way. They were not necessarily worse sinners than the other Galileans because of this particular suffering. Now, there's another thing that will happen, and we'll get to in verse 4. And Jesus says, you know what? The same thing can happen to you. If you don't repent, it can happen to you. Now, I, I want to say this. I mean, even if we do repent, uh, and we know this from, from brothers and sisters in, in places where they're suffering, even if you do repent, uh, you can still suffer harm. But you will not suffer eternal torment and eternal separation from God. You will not suffer the fires of hell if you repent. Uh, you will not perish uh, in that way if you repent. Jesus is saying, really, in many ways, everybody is guilty and needs to repent. Continuing the section, he says, or those 18 who died in the tower uh, tower in Siloam. Try it again. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. There was a tower in Siloam, and it it fell. Something happened. We don't know. There might have been a mild earthquake or just something happened, and, and the tower or part of the tower fell on people, and 18 people died. Now, some were saying, aha, this is the judgment of God falling on these people because this this, this tower fell on them because of their evil and their wickedness, and Jesus is basically coming back and saying, no, they're not more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem. He's saying all are guilty. We're all guilty. We, we, all, we all deserve the punishment that, uh, that God would bring us. So all are guilty. You're guilty. I'm guilty. How does that make you feel? Doesn't it, aren't you built right up this morning hearing that you're guilty? No, but the fact is, if we repent and turn to Christ, our sins are forgiven. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We know that we'll spend eternity in heaven with God. We know that we get to walk with God today. We get to know that when we repent, 
We get to know that our sins are, we're cleansed of our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. The forgiveness of Almighty God comes to us in repentance and the cleansing. We are cleansed. You're made clean by God when you repent. Now, we don't like this word. We really don't. We, we live in a culture that doesn't like this idea of, of repentance. And why do we not like it? Because we like to be our own boss. We like to do our own thing. We like to call our own shots. Bottom line is, though, repentance is part of the message. It's the message that Jesus himself preached. It's the message that he sent his apostles out to preach in the Gospels. It's the gospel that we see Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2, repent and believe. Uh, we need to turn from self to God. We need to acknowledge our need of God. And so we turn to God. We say we need we need a Savior. We need Jesus. Uh, we are sinners. Uh, we're not exempted. We're, we, we're just as bad as anybody else. You know, uh, I, I don't need to bring out my... Uh, my brownie illustration, do I? Remember my brownie illustration? You can all comment and say, oh, no, or please do. You know my brownie illustration. Uh, how much does it take to make the brownies bad? There's a particular secret ingredient that would go in to the brownies, and you wouldn't eat them. That's all it takes is a little bit to make the whole batch bad. And uh, so whether it's a little bit of sin or a lot of sin, bottom line is if you are sinful or a sinner, you're guilty. We're all guilty. And this is what Jesus is underscoring. They're trying to get him to say, well, they did something far worse than you. You, you got, you Pharisees are, are, are okay. You know, you're not as bad as those people. And, uh, uh, so we, we know that you're not, that, that you know, uh, we're not as bad as those people, so we know we have a different standard. Nope, Jesus is saying the same standard for all people. The righteous standard of God holds up, and uh, unless we repent, unless we turn to God, uh, we too will perish. And that message holds true today, same message. Again, not popular. Well, you know, we, we want to preach the message, well, God is for you. I'm not saying that God's not for you, but you know, uh, God is for righteousness and God is for truth and God is for, um, uh, God is for his love for us. God is for our acknowledgement of our need of him. And in some of our contemporary, especially in Western culture and especially in America, uh, United States in particular, America could be North America, Latin America, South America, Canada, you know, all of that. So particularly in the United States, maybe even up into Canada, I mean, we don't like to be told that we need to repent. We we need we want to be told that we're we're a okay and that God is for us no matter what. Well, that that is not the truth. Uh, you know, uh, th- there are some particular lifestyles that like to say, well, it's okay. God is still for me. Not in that lifestyle, He's not. Uh, God is still for me. Well, not when you're making those choices. I mean, those choices are still wrong. They go against the word of God, and so God's not for you in that sense. Does God want to see you succeed? Yes, but he wants to see you succeed first in the spirit. He wants to see you succeed first in, in, in acknowledging who he is. The beginning of wisdom is the is the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. And so when people begin to fear the Lord and, and turn to the Lord, acknowledge the need of the Lord, repent of self, and turn to Christ, 
That is where wisdom begins. And at that place and in that way, God is for you. He's not just for you for whatever you want. He is for you living in his ways. Now, let's continue this section. I want to get through verse 9 this morning, uh, and I think I will probably cut off at verse 9, even though the next section is, is so rich. We'll save that for Monday. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three nows I've been coming to look for fruit in this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Well, there are a couple things in this particular parable. One is the question of how long does it take a, a newly planted tree to begin bearing fruit? I mean, it may have only been in the place now of, of bearing fruit, but the, the owner of the soil, the owner of the land, the owner uh, of the fig tree uh, says, it's been three years. I, I should be expecting some fruit from this tree, uh, and there's no fruit. Get rid of it. Cut it down. Well, plant something else there. We're just not going to keep this tree around if it's not going to bear fruit. Now, there is a kingdom analogy in this about us and our fruit. Um, really, I mean, that's the point. The point of parables is always people and our response and our relationship to, to kingdom priorities and kingdom initiatives and, and, and to the king himself. Uh, for us, if God has planted us, let me bring this back up. If God has planted us, he's expecting fruit from us. He wanted it cut down. The man in verse 8, now this, there are a couple different ways that we can be seen. We can be seen as, uh, we can be seen as the fig tree. That can be us. That can be uh, symbolic of us. We could also be symbolized in the gardener. Uh, that is tending to the vineyard. Those are a few ways that we can be viewed. One, are we bearing fruit? The second, in verse 8, the man replied, the gardener, the man who took care of the vineyard, leave it alone for one more year, I'll dig around and fertilize it. That could be us pleading for God to, to continue to be patient us continuing to plead with God for the souls of, of brothers and sisters, friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers. Lord, give us more time. Give us, give us the opportunity. Give it another year. And in that sense, we're, we're called to plead for the souls of men. And, and God is kind. We're told in Romans 4 about the kindness of God, that it's the kindness of God that keeps us from being extinguished right now. He's kind, he's patient, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God continues to show patience. And so we, as gardeners, say, Lord, give us another year of prayer. Give us another year to witness. But also as gardeners, uh, within the family of God, among the people of God, 
that we would be saying, uh, Lord, help give us time that we might, that we might, uh, fertilize the tree. Uh, give us time that we might, uh, water the tree more. Give us time, Lord, that, that we might do more work. And I mean, how much, how patient does the Lord have to be? Now it says in verse 13, it says, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. And, and this, this is the, uh, Again, this is the gardener saying this to the owner uh, of of the vineyard. Uh, if not, then we'll cut it down next year. A recognition that uh, okay, there there does need to bear fruit, and if there's not going to be fruit born, what do we need to do? Now, there's all kinds of things I can draw out of this. One is, I mean, the question of how long do we continue to invest in an unfruitful person? I mean that. And this, this sounds kind of harsh. It really does. Well, we'll just keep being patient, keep being patient, keep being patient, keep being patient. Well, um, this section of Scripture, verses 6 through 9, does indicate that there does come an end to the patience even of God. Uh, you can go back to Genesis chapter 6, and where God says, My spirit will not always strive with man. And we know what happens in Genesis 6. The the flood happens. God pours out the flood. God, uh, and he had said, I'm not going to keep striving with man. I've been patient, and, and I've pleaded, and I've sent messengers, and I've done all these things. They're not listening. Uh, and therefore, I'm at the end of my patience. Even God's patience runs out. There will come a point where there will be a judgment. There, there will come a point uh, when, when we will give an account. Now, again, let me bring this back to us as those who would make disciples of others. And uh, I, I just want to highlight, Walter says that the little research takes three, three to five years for a fig tree to bear fruit. Uh, so we're at the third year with this fig tree, and it, it still could have been another year or two uh, before it would even bear fruit. And, and it shows a little bit of the expectation uh, of the vineyard owner, uh, of a more sudden. Now, let me let me let me push into something here a little bit uncomfortable for us. Uh, some of us maybe have been Christians for years and years and years and years and years and years, uh, and are we bearing fruit? Uh, what what type of fruit? There's three different types of fruit. I, I texted this to Pastor Jacob last Sunday. Three aspects of fruit. One is the fruit of righteousness. That is one, that we, we, we become more like Christ, more holy. That, that is one aspect of fruit that should be born in our life. Well, other people will point to the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 6, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, and, and say that, that we should be bearing fruit like that, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control against such thing. There is no law. So that should be evident in our life. We should be growing in those things by growing in the Spirit. But then also, I believe the fruit of disciple-making is, is another aspect of our fruit. Uh, it, one of the weaknesses of the ways that we approach things in, in Western church culture is that, that we say it, it, it's all about the preacher. Friends, it's not all about the preacher. Uh, there are so many people that I've encountered over all these years of being a follower of Christ, now almost 44 years following Christ, uh, people that, that should know how to share Scripture with people, they don't know how. 
They've been Christians for 40 years. They don't know how to share scripture with somebody else because they've been taught to sit there and just kind of look at the preacher. No, we all need to be able to share something that God is teaching us from his word. I, I believe that. You know, I, I know that we're not all going to be like disciple makers who multiply lots and lots and lots. I, I get that. I know that. Someone was pushing back on me. Not everybody's a disciple maker, you know. Well, I, I, I know that. But, you know, there, is there fruit? Is there fruit of prayerfulness? Is there fruit of, of you doing your part in the body of Christ? There, there's fruit that way that should be born. And, and there are lots of people, they pray the prayer, they go to church, and, and pastor last week, my pastor, Jacob, uh, last week, uh, I get emotional saying that, uh, last week was talking about, you know, there needs to be some fruit in your life. Uh, so I, I would ask anybody that's listening, what fruit are you bearing? Uh, we're dealing with, with a woman who has begun a church in her home with several dozen people uh, in a place that would face persecution. She's bearing fruit. Now, that might not be something you would do, but to ask yourself, what's the fruit of your life? You know, now some of you, some of your fruit, and I, I want to give you something here. Some of your fruit is born in your support of the ministry. Paul talks about those types of people in his letters that those that support, in fact, even Jesus talks about the people who supported him or the gospels talk about the people that supported Jesus in his ministry. Uh, and, and so they were bearing fruit in that way. Uh, you're bearing fruit. Uh, we sent money this week. Uh, the Bibles, Bibles should be uh, delivered this Saturday. Uh, tomorrow I'll be speaking again with that Pakistani group, uh, and the hope is that they will have Bibles. And uh, one of one of you sent money for that, and that money has been forwarded on and to the print shop there uh, near. Uh, where our sister lives, and I'm trying to back off a little bit from saying, uh, I might have already just said where where I'll be sharing, but but because uh, I want to protect our our brothers and sisters over there, but that's fruit. That is that that will bear fruit. Uh, people have participated. We we now have a structure up in uh, the Kaka, one of the one of the refugee camps in Kakama, where uh, last year in May, I think it was, I shared the uh, the picture uh, where they had outlined on the ground where they'd like to have a structure. They now have a roof over their heads because people have given toward that end. That's bearing fruit. Uh, we're about to launch a campaign to raise money. Uh, I need to raise money personally for, for my own support. But, but on top of that, we're about to give the opportunity for people to give to help put a roof on uh, the building that is in Torit uh, in uh, in South Sudan, a hub church that has planted lots of churches. You know, I, I we're in a place where we're saying, okay, we, we want to invest in places that are bearing fruit, a place, places that are reproducing disciples, and that's where we want to invest in, in those types of places. So. That bears fruit. Your gifts in those ways bear fruit. I, I don't expect it, anybody else necessarily from this crowd to be able to sit and do like I do. I, I get that. Some of you have led Bible studies. Keep doing it. Some of you are prayer warriors. Keep praying. Uh, 
some of you uh, lead others to, to develop spiritually and formatively. Keep doing that. Uh, others of you are, are phenomenal caregivers. Keep giving care. Others of you are, are supporting, uh, you know, a ministry like this very directly, like Steve uh, and uh, Donna, and I think of Don, uh, particularly Don with, uh, you know, helping with a lot of the background things of this broadcast, bear fruit. Let's make sure we bear fruit. But the other side of it is there's something else that's true here, and I just want to kind of a terrible place to land the plane here. But there is something in this verse that uh, gives the indication of a moving on. If it's not bearing fruit next year, move on. As disciple makers, there is an aspect. People say, it's not fair, it's not right, and, you know, you've got to be in the inner circle. Well, guess what? The inner circle was is biblical. Just for the record, I want you to know uh, Jesus had his one, John. Jesus had his three, uh, James, John, and Peter. He had his 12. They're the ones that got the best of him. Uh, Paul had his small entourage who traveled with him uh, and his people that he invested in. Uh, you go back all the way to, what is it, Exodus 18, I think, and, and Moses was told to have his uh, and so as a disciple maker, you, you learn to invest in people who will bear fruit. And uh, that's where you spend your time. That's where you spend your most time in those that have indicated the interest and in, in want to grow. So um, bear fruit. Lord, help us to bear fruit. Help us to keep praying for people who need to bear fruit. Keep us to keep praying for people who... Um, need to repent. And Lord, may we bear fruit that brings you glory. Work in our lives, Lord, and however you have uh, however you have uh, been wired. And, and this prayer, we pray for Wendy, my wife, we pray for Jean, uh, diagnosed with cancer, Virgil, and I haven't heard the outcome of his situation for Olivia. Uh, Ed and the family of Larry Littlefield who passed away and, and relatives like Fran. Lord, would you comfort the hearts of those uh, in the midst of their loss and uh, calm the anxieties of those who have fear. Lord, we look to you. We bring to you these burdens. And we, we pray for our brothers and sisters in places that don't have all that we have. Lord, continue to provide for them even the daily necessities and to use them for the kingdom of Christ. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.